You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's been a really busy week. We got multiple subjects to talk about today on the Bose Nose Show. So I'm going to just jump right in to a lot of those subjects, but I'm going to remind folks that we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show. All you have to do is give us a call at 646-721-9887 and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the show because sometimes people call just to listen to the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in and talk. Um, So... It's been a busy week, and just one of the little things coming up in that week is the fact that we are putting out another or or opening up another round of applications for rent assistance for those folks that um, lost income due to the COVID pandemic. And just, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you got to, you know, sort of demonstrate how you've lost your income or you know, how you're medically fragile. I think there's a couple of things that are uh, pretty easy to uh, to make the application on, um, you know, on the county website. Uh, we're taking in another 300 applications. We, we already have, have uh, accepted 1,570 from the previous times we've had this open. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, we have this, this funding that keeps coming in now and then um, from the Federal CARES Act funding, and it comes in in dribs and drabs, so we reopen the the process and all that. Uh, But the easiest way to find how to apply is just to go to lanecounty.org slash rent. You know, it's just, you know, really easy that way um, to get to it, and that's just, you know, www.lanecounty.org slash rent, um, and that'll get you to the right place. But you also have to be below 80% of Lane County's area median family income, and there's different dollar amounts for different household sizes. If it's just uh, yourself, you have to be below $39,204 a year, so with, with your income to be eligible. But we will have um, another round open up probably in November, it looks like. So this is kind of the uh, um, October version of this. You, it, it opens up this Friday at 9 a.m. My guess is we will fill 
on Friday. So my recommendation for you is to go to that lanecounty.org slash rent if you're thinking about applying, get everything together, and uh, get it submitted at 9 a.m. on Friday um, so you get yourself in line. Uh, if you're needing assistance because of what the uh, shutdown has caused for you as far as COVID and all that goes, which leads me to the second topic sort of that, you know, we're, we're dealing with our little surge here in Lane County. Actually, as you start to look at the epi curve with, you know, the uh, epidemic, you know, curve in the number of cases over time, we're actually starting to, you know, we were doing this and trying to, Start going exponential. We've actually started to turn over the top of that curve a little bit, and uh, are flattening some. So, folks are doing the good work we talked about last week. Um, you know, it got. You know, we we think uh, you know between some workplace outbreaks, the U of O students coming back, and people just letting their guard down because it's just been so long that they've had to practice all these social distancing and not going to parties and, and, you know, wearing the mask and washing the hands and all that stuff that, that people let their guard down. We had this surge in cases, you know, that combination of several things. And I think we're starting to turn the corner. That said, um, the World Health Organization, uh, one of their doctors was being interviewed and basically look like he was reversing course on whether we should be locking people down. And it kind of got reported that way. And I want to kind of go over what he actually said um, so people can understand that, you know, uh, it's still a tool, but the World Health, at least this particular doctor from the World Health Organization thinks it should be a last resort sort of tool. He basically said, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as a primary means of control of this virus. The only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted, but by and large, we'd rather not do it. You know, it doesn't say they absolutely think it's wrong. It sounds like you, you only really need to do this if you're in big trouble, you know. Um, and then he goes on um, to basically say um, lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Look what's happened to smallholder farms all over the world. Look what's happening to poverty levels. It seems that we may have a doubling of world poverty next year. We may well have at least a doubling of child malnutrition. So basically, he's saying, you know, these lockdowns equal increases in poverty. And that's why they should be used only basically to, to do that pause and, and to reset your, your uh, resources. Um, so, you know, as some have been advocating for us to go backwards and into higher lockdowns because of the surge we were experiencing in Lane County, here's the World Health Organization doctor basically saying, eh, unless you're kind of like getting overrun, stay away from the going backwards, getting into lockdowns. Because, um, you know, poverty has health impacts. 
and you know not just physical health impacts but mental health impacts to people uh you know here we we're having to provide rent assistance to folks uh if you don't think those folks that are worried of, you know, and and I, I guarantee you we'll get way more than 300 applications on friday um you don't think those folks that are worried when that um, eviction moratorium is lifted that they may be homeless. Think about the stress they're under right now and, and what that's doing to their health. So, um, you know, ha- the damage that's being done by what we're doing to control COVID is, is pretty big and, and there has to be a balance there. And basically, this Dr. Navarro uh, from the World Health Organization is saying, you know, shutdowns really aren't the best tool. You know, if I can interpret what he's saying, and and he's not saying they they should never be used, but he's basically saying um, that we'd rather not do it. You know, that's pretty strong language almost close to saying don't do it um so kind of a couple interesting COVID updates there we got the rent assistance going um you know we got our little surge that's starting to flatten the curve a bit here don't relax folks got to still do the social distancing wear your mask you know and wash your hands avoid touching your face stay home if you're sick good gravy i can't tell people you know don't don't be going out if you're not feeling good and uh you know we'll get we'll it's not just about tipping that curve and flattening some we'd like to bring the case count per day down and and into a reasonable you know where we were you know a month and a half ago um that that's where we need to be you know so that we're not tipping the 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 scales to where the governor is going to start shutting school you know any you know hybrid schools down and and asking us to go back to phase one so you have to stay you know um, on your best behavior when it comes to this covid stuff so now we've kind of covered covid a little bit and unless somebody wants to call in and talk more about that uh on our line there at at 646-721-9887. I want to jump back to a subject we talked about a lot last week, and that's this whole issue of the floodplain and floodway and the fact that um, if it had moved forward in its, as it was rewritten based on direction from the progressive majority of our board last September 1st, would have caused a prohibition for fire um, victims that are in the floodway from rebuilding and and it was going to cost additional money in the reconstruction for those that are in the flood plain um, now what's interesting though is when we got to the point of voting on moving it forward and changing anything in it um, it turned out it was Commissioner Pete Sorensen that ended up making the motion. And even right after the motion, I mentioned that I'm not sure I understood what the motion meant. And I've had to go back and listen to it several times. And um, 
you know, there have been emails that have come out from a couple board members to constituents replying to their concerns about um, this ordinance having an impact on those that were victims of the Holiday Farm fires rebuilding up in McKenzie. Um, some of their responses said, oh, we passed a, a uh, um, an amendment that exempts you all. Well, I want you to listen to Pete Sorensen make the motion and see if you can figure out if he mentioned the, uh, you know, an amendment um, that would exempt uh, victims of the Holiday Farm fire from this ordinance as it moves forward. So, Robin, can you can you play the full motion for everybody here on the Bose Nose Show? Would there be a way that you can succinctly restate your motion? Um, I I uh, would say first and foremost that I would like to direct staff to report back on the possible savings and and what would be required to strengthen this ordinance to provide for greater public safety number and, and to report back on the cost savings that may or may not occur uh, if we went from a rating of seven to a rating of one from a savings of 15% to a savings of 75%, get more report from staff on that topic. Number two, do not prohibit replacing dwellings in the flood way, uh, flood flood plain. So do not uh, uh, do not stop the replacement of those dwellings, but to have no dwellings, but 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 development in the flood way, re reversing the prior um, uh, motion. And I think the, the, the third thing he mentioned was setting a fourth reading and, and leaving the record open. So I don't know if you guys got out of that, you know, first he talks about a, a staff assignment to come back and report back on some cost issues relative to flood insurance rates um, and ratings. Uh, then he gets into the what's the real thing which is how the how the ordinance may be uh, be brought back to the the board um, and he, he he just talks about not prohibiting replacement dwellings doesn't mention the holiday farm fire or anything like that in the floodway and then he says a floodplain so I'm not sure which one he meant and then he says do not stop the replacement of those dwellings but to have no dwellings, but development in the floodway. So at one point he says not to prohibit dwellings in the floodway, and then later on he says no dwellings in the floodway. So um, maybe if we can play that number two again, let's see if we can figure out what Pete means by this. Number two, do not prohibit replacing dwellings in the floodway. Uh, flood Flood plain. So do not uh, uh, do not stop the replacement of those dwellings, but to have no dwellings, but 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 development in the flood way, re reversing the prior um, uh, motion. 
reversing the prior motion. Now, I'm not quite sure because there was no previous motion um, that day. I don't know if he's talking about the motion from uh, the September 1st meeting. Um, but that was a motion that amended the ordinance to some degree. So is he saying to reverse that motion to remove all those amendments? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know if I understand what he meant by that. But sure enough, um, Vice Chair Bernie seconded that motion as as it was made, and ultimately uh, Pete and and Joe and Heather all voted in favor of the motion uh, on a 3-2 vote to move it ahead. And I have no idea what they voted on. And, uh, you know, the chair has been saying that, uh, telling people in emails that uh, the amendment that she had staff prepare, which doesn't sound anything like that, was approved by the Board of Commissioners. And Pete's motion makes no reference to the amendment she refers to in her emails uh, so somebody doesn't quite get what's going on and one of the things about um, ordinances and codes is as you move something along you have to approve the, the reading of, of that and he makes no mention of approving the third reading which is what we were on at that at that board meeting um so it's scheduled to come back to the board next week again for clarity which means all of you that were concerned about whether or not this is going to impact the ability for fire victims to uh, either be prohibited from reconstructing in the floodway or having extra cost by raising their house an extra foot beyond what fema requires uh, in the flood plain um, might want to keep a little bit of pressure on the board uh, so that when we come back to give clarity that it's clear that holiday farm fire victims won't be subject to that you know to me what would be best is let's roll the thing back just to what FEMA requires so we're not adding extra cost to anyone that wants to, to construct or build in those areas it's already a fairly onerous task to, to do any new construction in the flood floodway or floodplain. Um, you know, adding that extra foot of elevation beyond FEMA uh, is not truly necessary. And there's some other additional requirements about balance cut fill in the, in the ordinances as, as it's currently written up for the third reading. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be for the fourth reading. I guess we're going to find that out next week. But it just kind of you know, amazes me that um, the chair accepted a motion and then a second on something so unclear about such a important issue for those fire victims to, to now we're going to have to come back to it next meeting. It's scheduled again for the afternoon on, on the on the 27th. Um, there will be open public comment at 9 a.m. that morning. And of course, there's always the, the email that goes to all aboard and uh, that people have been utilizing. And there's gonna be a public comment session in the evening uh, if people don't get a chance to chime in. Um, there won't be an open public hearing, I believe, at this, at, at this 
you know, uh, agenda item to provide clarity. Um, and I think, you know, they're right now just talking about clarity about the third reading. I think they need some clarity about, you know, what they want staff to do. Because understand, when we're passing ordinances, we're writing law. And that sort of direction to staff on a, you know, 80-page piece of code, I don't know if that's exactly how many pages, but it's multiple pages. Is that enough for staff to actually go and amend, fix that and bring it back? Was that clear enough direction? You know, how about in section whatever, we want you to insert, you know, a paragraph that does this, you know, and then in section this, do that, you know. Um, and then because this is not just us writing, you know, laws, which is Lane County Code, it's also part of our land use code, which means we also have to adopt findings to justify the rules we're writing. So not only do you have to direct staff how you want to amend it, you also should be directing staff as to what findings they should be um, adopting with that to, so that when it gets adopted, if somebody challenges the law, which is you know, one of the things that happens with land use codes, they can be challenged to the Land Use Board of Appeals um, and uh, ultimately up through uh, the Court of Appeals even. Um, that means you have to have adequate findings to justify what you're doing. So if they did intend to exempt the fire victims, they also need to kind of tell staff why, you know, what's your reasoning behind that that will stand up in a court of law? Because, and I'll tell you why this is really important. We're not just adopting the ordinance as is, we're adopting it with what's called a savings and severability clause. Now, people might, you know, have heard that, you know, as we read our, our ordinances and stuff in public, you know, always, and adopting savings and severability clause. Everybody hears that all the time, but you know what that actually means? That means if part of the law is found to be illegal or void, gets voided in some way, the rest of the law applies. It's to, it's to save and sever the good parts of the law from whatever is found to be bad, you know, by LUBA or the courts or whatever. So now this desire to write an exemption for fire victims so that this law doesn't apply to them, if that's challenged and overturned because we haven't adequately justified why the fire victims are, are special and more, you know, have more rights to redevelop their property than anyone else in Lane County, um, if we don't do that well and it gets overturned, then the law applies as written without that exemption, which includes, you know, at least I think it includes, I'm not sure because Pete's motion was very unclear, a prohibition on any dwellings in the floodway, which means those four or five houses in the floodway couldn't be rebuilt. And everything, including the extra foot of elevation for everybody reconstructing in the flood plain would apply 
which is all that extra cost, which is, you know, you know, quite a few homes, more than four, I'd say probably closer to 100 that are in the flood plain that, that were destroyed in the Holiday Farm fire. So um, that kind of emotion that is so unclear, I don't know how staff can come back with something. What it, what it, what if you were staff and you heard that motion? What would you do to re- respond to that and bring back something for the fourth reading? Do you did did you understand from what Pete said? What staff is supposed to do? Other than the the first part was kind of clear that they he wants some kind of economic analysis on on uh, flood insurance rates which I'm not sure why that has much to do with, um, you know, adopting code around that to try and modernize and match up with federal um, CFR changes and uh, state uh, model code, which was what this original intent was about, um, was to try and get us in line with that. But um, it just, it amazes me that, we're at this point where we're going to have to bring it back up next week and try and fix whatever problems were. Yeah, it should have been fixed in the moment. The chair should have stopped and said, you know, that that's that motion's not. And, and what I'm really surprised is our, our, the person that was monitoring this for county council didn't stop us, and neither did our planning staff stop us and say, hey, that motion isn't isn't enough, isn't right, isn't enough. Um, and it just surprises me that Commissioner Sorensen, who is an attorney by trade, doesn't understand that well enough to to make a motion that is clear and concise and provides adequate direction to staff. You know, it just it's surprising to me. And I know that you know, Commissioner Verney and, and Chair Buck are not attorneys, but they've been commissioners for a while now. You know, they're they're getting ready to, to wrap up their second year as commissioners. They should know better. We've had other land use code updates that have gone through and and we've had to go through the process of, of approving those and making changes to them. You know, that that's you know how, how do you get to this point where a motion that is so garbled and mixed up gets seconded and then voted on and approved by three out of the five commissioners you know it just is amazing to me and it's a disservice to those folks up river that want to rebuild um, to have that kind of uncertainty now because the motion was uncertain so hopefully we'll get it fixed next Tuesday. I will be uh, asking for very clear motions on this. And, and, I, and I will, again, ask the board maybe to consider just tossing the whole thing back to staff to have it go back to just what the minimum required updates are and not have it have any additional costs for anybody because I think it's going to be very difficult to write 
a justifiable exemption. Um, and that's, you know, has been a, an issue of mine, and I mentioned it in the board meeting that I felt it was, you know, very challengeable to, you know, the exemption in itself, and then even the exemption that was being proposed had some language in it that would make it easily to appeal somebody using that exemption, um, you know, individual permits. So, and appeals equals time, yeah. And, and we just don't want to have that process of rebuilding stretched out forever in land use appeals for these folks. So we need to do what we can to avoid that for them. But flood pandemics, we're back into our 2020 themes here. Um, maybe we should move along to something that's not a 2020 thing. Oh, no, 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 no. Our next topic's homelessness. I guess me. We just can't get past the, uh, the de disease, famine, and, and pestilence and stuff uh, of the four horsemen here uh, on Bo's Nose show this year because it just seems to keep coming back to all that. Um, you know, as we move away from the floodplain issues, um, I w again, we'll remind folks that you can call in here at 646-721-9887. Take us back to a previous conversation or move us into any topic you want. Just press one so we know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887 and just press one. So Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire knows you want to get in on the show. So at lunchtime today, we had a joint meeting of the County Board of Commissioners and Eugene City Council to talk about our um, progress on the TAC recommendations that we adopted um, to try and reduce homelessness here in um, Lane County. And uh, some of those recommendations have been expanded because they've decided to start using the um, by name uh, list of homeless to, to, to try and count homeless versus the uh, point in time numbers. So the, the numbers of beds needed have expanded. Um, and then at the same time, we've had the, um, you know, the, the problems with COVID closing up beds because we can't use, you know, beds that are right next to each other and congregate shelters and all that stuff is just really difficult. So we actually lost beds in the last year due to COVID. And um, so it was, uh, you know, it's a tough issue. And we got this long report from uh, Sarai Johnson, who's the new, uh, you know, I think homeless coordinator. I, you know, they referred to as a homeless czar or whatever. Uh, she's a joint employee of the city and the county. We both pay half of her, her salary and benefits. And, um, uh, it was a, a pretty detailed report back to both of us of, of kind of the status of where things are and where some of the money gaps are to get to where we need to go. Um, and some of those gaps were getting some pretty big dollar signs behind them. I think you know, one of them was about $13 million. And, of course, um, Alan Zelenka, city councilman, uh, immediately jumped to where he wants to try and um, pass a bond measure or some kind of tax that combines uh, climate actions with the homeless um, tactics and would fund both of those. Um, you know, so look out, 
your folks in Eugene, you're going to see a, a climate homeless tax coming up sometime soon on your on your ballots, unless they decide to do like they did with the public safety stuff and just impose an income tax to fund it. But you know that they, those guys are immediately going there, and meanwhile they 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 sort of um, in the meeting once again made it sound like the city was the one that was putting together all the permanent supportive housing projects around town. And I kind of um, bristled at that a little bit because uh, Sarai made this mistake of talking about when things were getting online based on when city funds were committed. And it's like, what city funds? You know, almost all the permanent supportive housing that's happening in Lane County and is coming online is either because the county was involved or Homes for Good was involved or both of us. MLK Commons across from Audison Stadium, those 51 units there, the county donated the land. We provide, provided significant capital funding, a couple million dollars worth. We are providing some of the operational funding along with the Homes for Good folks that actually are, are doing the, you know, managing the development of that. And, um, you know, we, you know, yes, the city of Eugene did chip in some money there, but it was not as substantial as what the county did. And, um, but the operations are actually being funded from HUD funds and county funds, not city of Eugene funds. So that's county land, county capital money, county operational money. Market Commons, down there at, at Six and Oak, um, the, next to the uh, OB development. Once again, county land, homes for good development, homes for good management and operational funds. At 13th and Tyler, the 26 units that are gonna be put there are county land donated, and it's um, a uh, grant from the state that's funding most of the capital operationally, Homes for Good, and Homes for Good is managing and building the project. 11th and Charnelton, the old um, funeral home there that was purchased by Homes for Good, being funded by federal tax credit financing, managed by Homes for Good, operationally funded through HUD funds, no city of Eugene really involvement there. Then there's the, the possibility that our River Avenue facility that the county purchased using COVID funding, so it's now county property, could be converted to the um, to the one of the shelters, one of the, the low uh, barrier shelters in this area, um, and that that's again. County funding, county owned, county land. And, and there's some other projects on the books coming up um, in Eugene Springfield for low income housing, all homes for good. So it's like, where is the permanent supportive housing that's going on city owned and donated property? There isn't any. 
even though we tried to ask them to, to look at their portfolio of properties, which they've got quite a few, um, to, when we were looking at trying to make sure we could meet the deadline to apply for that state grant that's funding the 13th and Tyler, which I really objected to carving up part of the, the Lane Events Center and Fairgrounds and, and putting family housing that close to our, our, our midway and concert venue. But the city just couldn't get off the dime and find a piece of property for us to utilize and hasn't put any property forward for any of these efforts. Counties put property forward on, on not Highway 99 for some of this, our, our winter strategy housing. Where's the city? Yeah, they did finally cite five 15 um, tent uh, RV slash Conestoga hut sort of um, uh, uh, rest stops around Eugene. They finally did that last Monday. So they've got 75 beds that they've kind of contributed compared to the hundreds that have been pushed through with county assistance and homes for good management. You know, um, I'm just, you know, as, as, as a partner in some of this, they need to step their game up as on as on encouraging. They, they, there's some things they've done that have been okay. And there's some things they haven't done. The city of Springfield is looking at an ordinance tonight or this week or coming week, I think, that is going to allow folks to host people in RVs that are fire victims and kind of ease their rules for parking RVs and driveways of houses for long periods of time with people in the RV. You know, when the state mandated that cities allow accessory dwelling units Springfield not only jumped right in there and, and changed their code to make it so, they also made a way of waiving SDCs, et cetera, to try and make sure those units stayed affordable so people could build them and rent them affordably to folks and provide more housing. The city of Eugene still hasn't met the state law when it comes to allowing ADUs in all single-family zoned areas. They still have prohibitions on RV camping and driveways. Springfield gets some of that stuff done. They may not have the funding capability that, that the city of Eugene has to provide some funds towards our um, Human Services Commission, which I appreciate that portion of what the city of Eugene does, um, but we really, you know, they got to they gotta step it up a little bit. And I kind of took them for task to task a little bit. And it's not just that. They need to start thinking about housing affordability and everything they do. Their envision Eugene process so cooked the books on buildable lands inventory and, and needed housing that they net they didn't expand the UGB at all. And then they wonder why there's a housing shortage. And now as we're going through 
the urban reserve process, which will make it easier for them to expand the UGB in the future um, into those urban reserves um, if they don't cook the books again on their on their billable lands inventory. Um, some of their counselors were talking about how they, they want to go with the smallest amount of land possible and all that. In fact, Betty Taylor specifically said, said I don't know why we have to plan for new residents coming to Eugene. And all I thought was, wow, there's an anti-immigrant statement if I ever heard one. Um, you know, shut the doors. Betty Taylor is already living in the city. She doesn't want anyone else new coming to Eugene. She doesn't think they should plan for any growth. You know, was some of her comments when we had a joint meeting on the urban reserves a couple of weeks ago. They need to put housing affordability in every policy they pass and be thinking about it. So, um, but uh, so I'm, uh, are we doing all right here uh, with our um, connection here, Robin? Oh yeah, sounds good. Okay, I, I saw something where your phone hung up or something like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was about an hour ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, sorry. Um, I, I, my wrist just thumped. You know, it's one of those distracting things about having too many electronics on your body at one time. So they just have to think about housing affordability and all our policies. And the Board of Commissioners should be doing the same darn thing. When we're thinking about a floodway and floodplain ordinance, why are we going beyond FEMA? Why are we going to make it more expensive for people to build a house when there isn't a true life safety benefit? And what they're doing, you know, if, if they, if somebody can point out that the true life safety benefits of some of these additional restrictions, like the extra foot of feedboard, I'll be right there. But I don't think there is a true life safety benefit because we're already requiring a foot of freeboard from the hundred-year flood. So that all said, it gets me down to my final topic of the day with about 15 minutes or less left in the Bo's Nose show, I'm going to jump into something that I just think is despicable. And I can't believe the city let this happen, but apparently that they, they had a different process for this mural than they normally do. It was kind of handed off to a festival to design and was put up really, I don't think without a lot of knowledge of the council and some other folks. And I'm referring to the mural that's down near uh, Park and Willamette Streets that includes a uniformed policeman in blue and a, um, a, 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 a former activist that kind of went off the rails at Shasta Middle School over a um, custody issue with her, his daughter and pulled a gun and actually fired shots at two policemen that were asking him to leave the building and then were trying to arrest him when he refused. And it's on video of him pulling out a gun and discharging it. And unfortunately, the, the choice at the time as he was struggling with the police officers for one of the officers was to, to use deadly force to end the incident. But somehow or another, he's being honored 
in this mural and and the, a policeman's being shown in it and i just can't believe somebody was tone deaf enough to to approve that and put it up on a building in eugene i mean it was investigated by the da's office and determined to be um a justified use of force um the the cameras videos were released to the public and and right on the camera videos you can see him pull his gun out from from his holster that was in his waistband and fire two shots um it's it's just uh amazing to me that um they they would do this because they never talked to the family they never talked to his ex-wife they didn't talk to his daughters. They never talked to anyone in the family. They didn't talk to the Eugene Police Department about it. They were shocked and surprised when it was unveiled. I mean, what? This is my "what were you thinking" moment. What were you thinking? Whatever that festival is. Uh, uh, had an article about it, but I can't bring it up because my computer's logged out and I got to log back in. So I'm dealing with four computer screens here. Um, but it was a, um, a a Latina festival of some kind. I can't remember the exact name that was in charge of uh, having this mural done by an artist. And they steered the content and decided to include his image you know, with a megaphone up in one corner and then down in another portion, a police officer from behind um, in uniform, you know, with, you know, holster and everything. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I heard an interview on the radio this morning with his ex-wife and I couldn't believe how well she, you know, how calm and, and well-spoken she was. I, could, I wouldn't be holding it together. I would be so upset because she was describing how um, her daughter had just kind of got past the phase of constantly breaking down into tears because the daughter was there when it happened, just inside the school, and witnessed all this. And now she's right back to where she was, breaking down into tears. What were you thinking? How did you think that was an appropriate mural to put up? It it just amazes me. Folks need to be getting a hold of the city council. I think it was funded with city funds. I'm not sure they had much to do with deciding what the content was directly indirectly they did because it you know they gave it over to this festival to to decide um you know we really need to people need to be letting the city council know um you want that mural changed i mean if they 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 should probably get rid, rid of the image of of uh Mr. Linderos, and they should probably get rid of the image of the police officer and and think about something else. You better get rid of the entire mural. Um, How unthinking 
how insensitive. I mean, are we going to start putting up murals of of, of uh, other people that have shot at police or other people that have attempted to shoot people? It just incredibly, incredibly poor form on the part of, of the city of Eugene uh, to allow that to happen. And I think people need to let the city council and the mayor know how upset they are about that and ask them to do something about it. Not to just say, oh, well, we really didn't control that. Sorry. Um, well, take, take some action. Don't just tell us you're sorry. So we got about 10 minutes left here on the Bo's No Show. Again, this is a call-in show, so you can control what we talk about. And I, I would encourage anyone uh, to give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Otherwise, I'm going to start talking about what I want to talk about here on the Bo's No Show. And, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the election coming up. You know, we've got some ballot measures here in Oregon that were referred by the state legislature, which always kind of surprises me sometimes. It's like, why are you sending that to the voters? Um, is it because you don't have, you don't want to take the responsibility for actually passing laws um, because you don't want to be tied to it? Like you don't want to be somebody that voted to make magic mushrooms legal in Oregon? <laughs> um, you know, psilocybin, of course, they, they say it's all going to be so controlled and everything else. Um, you know, and it's, that has beneficial use. Um, if it does, why are you having citizens, you know, pass that law? Why aren't you writing that law in committees with the input of experts and passing it yourselves if you think it needs to be legalized? Why are you going to the voters for that? Why are you going to the voters to pass laws on how you're going to tax vaping and tobacco products? instead of writing those yourself and passing them yourself. And there, there's a campaign finance reform law and a few others. I can tell you what my recommendation on the state measures is. No. No to all of them. Do your jobs, legislature. Don't be referring stuff that, that you know, you just don't want to take the responsibility for it. And then when you do refer it sometimes, or if it, I should say, when citizens go through the process to refer something and then vote it down, you bring it back and pass it anyway. You know, so I'm kind of wondering why they're asking, because they've kind of, you know, ignored citizen input before. But, you know, for me, there's not a single measure that's coming up out of the state that I'm going to be voting yes on. Yes, I do believe there needs to be changes in our tobacco taxation and, and vape taxation. I don't think the current proposal is the right one, though. For one, it, it kind of creates a slush fund with the tax money, and I, I, it's got to be better better handled. Um, and doesn't really come back to where it really ought to go to, which is to county health departments that are impacted by 
tobacco disease and 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 issues around tobacco and vaping but that's you know part of my my issues with that is just a, it's poorly poorly written um, and we just need to have them do it right hold hearings get input from experts write a decent piece of legislation pass it yourself and if you can't write something that will get the adequate three-fifths majority to pass a tax, then there's something wrong with it. You want to try and put it out to citizens so a simple majority might approve it or something. Do your job, legislature. How many times have I said that before? Uh, I lost count. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, quick public service announcement, if I may. Sure. This is uh, from the Oregon Health Authority, and they have some really good advice out there. Um, I wonder if I should put the what are they thinking thing above you. Anyways, in their um, – well, I'll just read it. It says, rain is coming throughout much of, of Oregon. People are used to getting wet. Duh. And, in fact, many don't even bother carrying an umbrella. But rainy weather is yet another part of life that's a little different during COVID-19 pandemic. Letting your face coverings get wet may decrease effectiveness and may make it difficult to breathe. So, in uh, other words, known I, I, as uh, exactly, self-induced waterboarding. <laughs> I saw the exact same announcement. <laughs> and, and I had to laugh because a, a friend of mine that's a commissioner on the coast kind of wrote a post with a link to it, yeah. laughing about their recommendation to use an umbrella. Because when he first moved to the Oregon coast, you know, 30 some odd years ago, whatever it was, he made the mistake of trying to use an umbrella on the Oregon coast. <laughs> <laughs> Only to have it, you know, ripped inside out and torn apart, you know, in his hands and, and then and then destroyed the second one before he realized that you can't use an umbrella on the Oregon coast because <laughs> the rain comes horizontal. It doesn't come vertically. <laughs> this may be a good idea for a Disney show with somebody with an umbrella and a nanny. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, I saw that about the wet face mask, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> oh, poodles. Hi, Louie. <laughs> for those watching on Facebook, this is Louie. Hi, Louie. Yeah. Squirrel. God. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that they actually put out a public service announcement to tell Oregonians it rains in the winter and your face masks might get wet. And you know what? Hmm, they put a cloth over people's face and pour water on it when they waterboard them. Maybe your face mask might cause the same problem. <laughs> of course, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. 2020, yeah. uh, besides people walking across the street without looking, then complaining why they got hit, yeah. it takes a service announcement to go, I can't breathe and it's raining. It, it, it reminds me of those little warning stickers on lawnmowers next to the uh, the grass chute you know, that, that shows the blade and, and, and the fingers getting chopped off. Then <laughs> says, don't put your hand in here. Well, and unfortunately, I, I actually know of a true story where a father and son decided to trim the hedges with their uh, lawnmower, and of course they lost their fingers and tried to sue the, sue the lawnmower company. <laughs> that the fact that nowhere in the manual did it say it was not a hedge trimmer. 
Yeah, labeling it lawnmower, I guess, doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, all those stickers are on there because somebody sued somebody. That's what amazes me is somebody stuck their hand in the lawnmower and then blamed the lawnmower company for not having a warning label to not stick your hand in the lawnmower while it's running. Well, let's see. I'm going to pick up my lawnmower, trim the hedges. I don't see any stickers on here. Yeah, they don't do this. <laughs> Just like, hey, do you think hot coffee might be hot? Yeah, yeah. It rains in Oregon and your face mask might get wet. First of all, if you're outside in the rain, you're probably socially distanced and can put that thing in your pocket. And if it is raining, you're you know, virus particles or whatever, probably getting washed out of the air pretty quickly, you know, so, and and down the storm drain. So maybe if you're outside in the rain, stick it off, stick it in the pocket of your raincoat so it doesn't get wet. When you start to enter the building, you put it back on. Yes, I'm just so glad that the Oregon Health Authority came out and told us about this. And yeah, I'm just, yeah. I, I wonder how many staff hours went into writing that and putting it out. Yes. What, what, what were you saying earlier about your tax dollars at work? Yes, yes. And I'm sure they were all PERS, you know, employees that had to, you know, and I'm sure that had to get approved by multiple levels of management before it was actually approved to go out in their daily COVID update because that was part of one of their daily updates. Which I'm on their email list, and I, 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 I was, I'm with you, Robin. When I read that one, I was just like dying, like, <laughs> oh my god, it, it rains in the wintertime in Oregon, and your mask might get wet. Oh my god, yeah, it's kind of like you know, when I forget my wide brim hat when it rains in the winter wintertime, I have to take my glasses off and stick them in my pocket as I go between buildings <laughs> because it's common sense. My glasses will get wet and get all spotted up, and I won't be able to see. Now, just read the comments here. It says, but water is a fabulous filter. We're all good. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it just amazes me. How... I guess maybe some people didn't think that, you know, and particularly since some of these masks are made of paper products. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm saying, damn, if only we had global warming, it'd all dry up in that rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, don't get me started. Yes. We also have our phase one climate action plan coming before us next Tuesday. Oh, God. Board of Commissioners, yeah. Well, I just, I still go back to Alan Zelenka. First place he goes is we're talking about all this homeless stuff and the need for a whole bunch of additional beds, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is we need to have a tax to pay for climate action items and investments, I think you put it, and homeless, um, uh, you know, costs. So, you know, and he wants to combine the two together. It's like, oh, wow, I bet that's going to pass really easily. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm sure you might be able to get the homeless stuff to pass, Eugene, or maybe the climate stuff. You combine the two and you're giving, you know, somebody a reason to vote no because they don't like part of it well and when is the uh, correlation between when property taxes come out and the time for us to vote on more taxes oh by the way property tax statements are available today uh-huh. 
So I'm afraid, so I'm afraid of looking be in your mailbox in a couple of days. Yeah. Where I, I almost couldn't pay mine last year, but thanks, thank you, President Trump, for helping to support Jay Bozovich and everybody else that uh, makes their money from my property taxes. Yes. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, thank you, Robin, for paying my salary. <laughs> you know, and that's something I don't forget from day to day is that I'm not spending my money. I'm spending other people's money every time I, I allocate funds, and. You know, like I said, we really be, should be talking about housing affordability in all of our policies. Passing a bond measure to pay for climate action stuff, do you think that makes housing more affordable? Not at all. Yeah. No, not really. You know, not expanding the urban growth boundary, uh, not wanting to get into the UGB, I mean, the, the uh, um uh, accessory dwelling units, ADU, sorry, the, the the accessory dwelling unit issue in Eugene and how they've avoided that. They're doing everything they can to restrict the supply of housing. Then they're passing taxes that make housing more expensive. Um, it's like, and then they wonder why they have a homeless problem and why are people are being priced out of housing. I just don't understand how people don't get that. And how they don't understand that when they're when they're raising taxes, it's other people's money, and they're increasing the cost of, of to live here. They're causing people stress. So they're causing people to leave. Like like pretty soon, my property taxes and insurance will exceed the cost of my mortgage. Yeah. Well, I I hear daily people discussing um, which state they're going to move to. I have one friend that that now looking in northern idaho and the panhandle of idaho up there uh, i have other fr- i have another friend that just recently moved to florida i've got friends that have escaped to texas um yeah everywhere but oregon and when a whole bunch of people and businesses leave the the state that means less income for the state which means to compensate for that the price the taxes go up yeah yep well, on those happy notes, yes. we're about out of time here on the Bose Note Show. We actually ran a couple minutes over, which is no wonder of doing internet radio. We can run past our time period and not be at the mercy of the clock so much like uh, regular radio is. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Bose Note Show. We'll be back next week, and I'm sure I'm going to be rather hairy because I'm getting ready to go out of town and visit my father-in-law in Kentucky Uh, the next morning. So I'll be trying to pack and get ready for that and do a radio show. So we'll talk to you next week here at four o'clock on Wednesday on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great week.